there's been a lot of complaints from my colleagues around the you know in the community that this the the, the array cast doesn't have enough Q representation and um, I feel like I'm I'm doing my best here to, uh, to to hold that but if we can get a few more people of the uh, on you know some of the people that we've highlighted today that that would be great for the community I think maybe if we get enough Q people on then Arthur Whitney will come up to balance it with K oh you like my strategy here. I like that. I like that, Adam. I like that, Adam. Very nice. Welcome to another episode of Raycast. I'm your host, Connor. And today with me, I've got four panelists, technically three regular panelists, and a guest panelist will go down, go around and do brief introductions. We'll start with uh, Bob, then go to Adam, then go to Marshall, and then go to Nick. I'm Bob Terrio. I am a J enthusiast. In fact, I am a J programming language enthusiast. I just want to make that point. I'm Adam Bonsevsky. I've been promoted to head of language design at Dialog, so I do APL. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I've been a J programmer. I've worked at Dialog. Uh, now I develop BQN. And I'm Nick Pisaris. I'm a Q enthusiast. Uh, I a Q programmer, a Q author, and a Q uh, adjunct professor as well. Awesome. And as mentioned before, my name is Connor. I am a research scientist and polyglot programmer, but array language enthusiast on all of my free time and some of my work time as well. So I think we've got. Four different announcements, plus or minus, for some definition of the word announcement. So I think we'll start off with Bob, and then we'll go to Adam, and then I'll uh, introduce the next two after that. Well, my announcement I've actually pre-announced. Um, J is now referring to itself as J Programming Language, and the reason for that is so many people have been concerned about doing a search for J and coming up with, well, you can imagine what happens if you search for the letter J. Um, so in order to do that, if you really, if you write something about J and you wish it to be more visible to a Google community, um, you write J programming language somewhere in your SEO and it should be able to be picked up by people a little bit easier if we all consistently do that. Um, of course, if you really want to have your article or whatever you're writing uh, known to the J community, you've got a J wiki, and that is actually one of the best repositories of information about J. So always consider putting something into the J wiki because uh, I think that's where people generally could go to get information. But uh, J programming language should uh, open us up to the rest of the uh, the web. Awesome. Yep, that's not confusing at all. But <laughs> J programming language is what to use when searching now is what people should take away. APL is also confusable with other things named APL, but you can't call it the APL programming language because that would be redundant. <laughs> At least you've got three letters instead of one, you know, K, Q, J, they've got a more of an uphill battle. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So uh, not actually an APL announcement, but uh, on Stack Exchange, uh, it's a network of sites of which Stack Overflow is by far the most known one, which that one deals with people's issues when programming. Um, but they also have sites about all kinds of other topics and people can suggest new sites. Some enthusiasts suggested a new site uh, for programming language design and implementation. And that passed through the first gate of approval and now it's in a beta phase. Um, so it means it's not really listed among the sites, but you can it's still open to the public to go there. And while well, I said it's not an API announcement, but obviously 
um, I've been clobbering it with answers to people's questions when they ask about what are some viable approaches to do this or that, and say, oh, APL does this. Anyway, APL does that. So, um, but check it out. It, there's some cool stuff there. And I'm sure we'll we'll leave a link in the show notes for folks if they want to uh, find it. All right, I think so. That's our two official announcements out of the way. We're gonna rotate to Marshall now, who has, I believe, a follow up to what we talked about in the previous episode. Yeah, I don't have any problem calling this an announcement. But uh, on the last episode, we talked about uh, a problem of of moving in a sliding window along an array and finding the kth from smallest value, basically. Um, and a special case of this is finding the absolute smallest or largest doesn't really matter value. And so I discussed an array style solution to this that is very fast in practice, but it's not uh, it's not linear time. So there's a um, there are a few actually scalar approaches that work in in linear time in the length of the array. But so at the end of the episode, we had not found an array approach that works in linear time. Um, but I got an email afterwards from uh, Phineas Porter, who um, actually linked me to a blog post he'd written two years ago, which will be in the show notes, about a method for doing this. So the idea is if you want the smallest um, smallest value from every uh, length k window in an array, what you're going to do is actually um, split the whole array into non-overlapping slices of length. Um, I, I worked it out. It's actually best to use k minus 1. And then once you split that up, every window is uh, is split across two of these slices. So you've got the left half in one slice and the right half in the other slice. And then there's a, a completely linear time method to get all the minimums. Um, and that is for each of these chunks of the array that you split it into, you're going to take a forward scan of the minimum and a backward scan of the minimum. And then you, for each pair of windows, you take the, um, the backward scan on the left window and the forward scan on the right window and you min those together and the way it works out is that you end up with uh with you get every window that falls into those slices you get the minimum for all those windows and the scan is a linear time operation and it's very array friendly of course so if your windows are long enough if your windows are really short you do a bunch of small scans and that's not good but if your windows are long enough this is really fast um and I found that it beats the method that I talked about um, when you get to around 500, uh, K is 500, so windows of 500 or more. So that's really cool. Uh, there's now, now we have two different methods. One is really fast for small windows. One is fast for large windows. So I'm ready to declare total array superiority on the, on the sliding window minimum or maximum problem. We still don't know about the smallest K or largest K, but... <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, what, you're declaring total? And I was I was waiting for the prefix of k equal to 1, which you did you did add subtly at, at the very end. Uh, what we discussed is a generalization of that, which I still don't know. But um, that's pretty cool that there's, I mean, and as far as I know, these are the fastest ways to do this on a CPU, at least, uh, probably on a GPU. Are these, um, there's one where you, the one that I talked about, where you do offsets in powers of 2. And then there's the other where you do these scans. Yeah, if it's if it's basically boiling down to scans on a GPU for k equal to one, this will be the fastest. As yeah, well. GPUs are pretty good at scans. Yep, we eat them for breakfast. Probably better than CPU. Um, yeah, so we'll definitely leave a, a link to that in the show notes. And this is a great transition because Phineas 
was one of the cue gods in Nick's presentation, which I think we'll get to in a moment, but Nick introduced himself earlier. I looked it up, and I believe this is your fourth time as a guest panelist. So technically, I'm not actually sure what happened. Did we, if you, we demoted you from guest panelist to guest, and now we've re-promoted you back to guest panelist. So Nick was on episode three, four, and five, representing the Q language, and then we had him on as a guest, actually not too long ago, December 9th, I think, in episode 42. So links to all of those episodes, if you haven't heard them and you're a recent listener, you definitely want to go listen to those. But Nick is going to, I think, recap some of the announcements from KXCon, which is basically what today's episode discussion is going to be about. Last week, from Wednesday till basically Friday or Saturday, we were at a two-day conference put on by KX and First Derivatives, who are the owners of the Q language. And yeah, I'll throw it over to Nick, who is, in my opinion, had one of the best talks at the conference. But we'll we'll do some announcements first, and then we'll we'll hop into what we thought of the conference and any questions that uh, the other panelists have. Uh, th thanks, Connor. Um, there was a lot of announcements. Some of them were, you know, commercial alliances with uh, Microsoft or, um, you know, Azure, Amazon, things like that. Um, but I think ones that are relevant uh, to the community listening to this uh, podcast are, you know, things that pertain to the language itself. One of them that is actually quite interesting is uh, you know they always have a version, a test version of the language that owner uh, owners of licenses have access to their you know uh, downloads.kx.com. You can go see all the new pieces of functionality that are going to be in the next test version. So 4.0 is the public version. 4.1 has been uh, in test for a couple of years now. So it'd be 4.1t. They announced that 4.1t would now be available to, to everyone to play with. I think one of the things is there's so much functionality. They want to make sure they get they get it right when 4.1t becomes actual 4.1. There's a lot of the the KX company is shifting more towards uh, being developer friendly, and on that front, um, PyKX, which is uh, gives you the ability to run a queue process not a separate thread, but just the, the queue memory space inside Python um, that is now open source. And so you can do a, a pip install, a PyKX, and everything will be pulled down. And uh, with um, with a license, you can get your own personal license or an enterprise license. You can then run queue inside your Python memory space, which um, given enough examples, you know, you have a queue table instead of pandas, things uh, compute much, much faster. In addition to that, the vectors that main, uh, then it, the Q table columns are indeed vectors. And when you want to grab them as NumPy vectors, that can be done with the zero copy as well. So there's a lot of efficiencies that they put in there. And I believe, and I find it quite exciting, is that this is going to open up a lot of people who know Python coming out of school, um, going to the workplace or start playing with it at home, seeing the performance enhancements that importing PyKX would give you, and then start wanting to learn more about the underlying lang language itself. Um, we can go into some of the uh, additional changes to the actual language that haven't been released yet, but it, I think one of them that I wanted to bring up, and uh, and we can talk some more in detail, is that the parallelism is, is, in, is all throughout the language on many, many different fronts. Uh, and one of the things I think, Connor, you mentioned last time was that you tried to go from each to peach in your program and it didn't make much of a difference. I just wanted to confirm whether or not you started it with the dash S and then some number that would uh, indicate the, the number of secondary threads. 
Yeah, so the answer to that question is no, and I had no idea you had to do that. And actually, so Phineas, Phineas and I uh, drove into uh, Montauk together and ended up chatting for like three hours along the way. We got into a big argument about the implementation and design, the semantics of prior. Um, and then the other thing we talked, well, one of the other things we talked about was was why I wasn't getting a difference from Peach. And he he mentioned two different things. He said, one, you got to do it with hyphen S. Uh, but two, he was also shocked that I didn't have a full um, Q, like un-demo un version, like he was like, "Don't you? Isn't Stephen on the podcast? Can't he hook you up with a, a full access to all the cores?" Because he said that really doesn't make a difference too. Like if you're stuck to two cores, um, you know, you're definitely not going to see the. Uh, or actually, I'm not sure what the the, the limit is on the demo license because I usually run it with hyphen uh, task set hyphen two on Linux because if you don't limit, like, so I think I have 32 or 64 cores on my computer, and if you don't limit it it just, the executable won't run. So you have to do it, you have to run it with task set hyphen C and then the number of cores. But then on top of that, Phineas said that you also have to do the dash S in order for them to actually launch on multiple threads when you're using Peach. So yeah, fail on my part. One of the things historically about Peach was that the data on the way in to the secondary threads was, uh, I think, you know, shared with a pointer, but on the way out, it was serialized and then deserialize. And so you really paid a, a massive penalty. Oh, I mean, it's not a penalty. I mean, you can imagine that when you want to send data to a separate process, you need to serialize it and then deserialize it on the, on the way back. But I, I forget, as of there's been a recent version, maybe recent as in two years or three years, maybe more, I'm dating myself. But they've even removed the serialization and deserialization. So it's just, there is no copy from the master, the main thread to the secondary thread and then back again. So you can li literally just put peach anywhere you want it in each and there's really limited overhead i mean there's some marshalling perhaps i i, I agree um but it's it's quite powerful and so because there is this memory um sharing that's why they've added peach into all of the primitives under the hood um i, I guess let me just get into some of the other places they've added it while while we're talking about it was so um the C csv loader and all the other um, loaders that, that that bucket it, whether it's uh, I think binary or or, or, or text, it um, it chunks the file into to pieces and then parses them in parallel. The uh, and now that um, Q is making a big push, KX is making push big push to get Q to be able to query objects on the cloud. You can imagine the delay if you were to load each column one at a time uh, serially, and so they've changed some of the column loading and the partition loading. All of that is now parallel as well. And that would make a massive difference. I think on a single machine, if you're IO bound, maybe maybe serially is serially is just as good as in parallel. But on the cloud, I think that that's kind of where this comes into play. Um, so cross partitions, database loading, and uh, and data serialization and deserialization as well. It also does that in parallel. So there's a lot of emphasis on parallelism in the in the Q language. Yeah, and it, it was clear from some of the presentations. Can't remember exactly which one it was. It might have been the Goldman Sachs presentation that they were talking about that they like very aggressively use Peach basically on everything, and they see like huge performance wins because of it, um, because they're running stuff across so many different machines or cores. Um, yeah, we will. And I think all these videos are getting released online, including Nick's, and we will 
when we have access to those, I don't know how long it's going to take. Some conferences, it's like a week. Some conferences, it's like six months. But uh, we will we'll announce it in a future episode when we have access to the video links. Um, I would guess that they're going to try and get them on sooner rather than later while it's topical. But um, time will tell. Um, I mean, I guess there's a few other things in the language that were um, that, that were interesting. I think that they've added a new version of compression, the Z, Z, Z standard. I think it's from Facebook. Uh, there's many different, that's I think the fifth compression type, you know, there's snappy and then LZ4 and then there's the native Q compression. They're always adding new compression levels. The, um, there's uh, new options to the garbage collection. How, how aggressively do you want it? Do you want it to be, you know, quick or do you want it to be complete? Um, there's a way you can load few databases, uh, KDB databases that do or do not load the, the code that's in there that might make it a little faster if you just want to reload the database without the actual code again. Um, you can now run SV and VS. I think you mentioned that in the last in the last episode. You can run those on byte vectors, and that would also include uh, globally unique identifiers, goods. And um, one of the ones that got a lot of clapping was that in the console, um, backslash C would give you you know ten rows and two hundred columns. Uh, you know, backslash C, 10 and 200. Now they've added the ability to do it automatic resizing. So I don't know if it was backslash C, no, no, or zero, zero. I, 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 I don't remember. But that would allow you to just, you know, as you change the size of your console to have the display match that size as well. So that, that, that got it. So what does backslash C do exactly? It's just the 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 columns and rows or, or rows and columns. So backslash C with an integer and another integer says how many rows should it display? Oh, so it sets the size of your terminal. Yeah, it probably stands for console. Yeah, it's kind of like what PW and APL. They've added auto sizing. Yeah, and um, I think one of the most exciting ones uh, was, and I maybe we can come back to this because I don't know. It could take a whole episode if we can remember exactly all the details. But uh, Pierre brought out a new syntax for um, reversing any operation like assignment. Or yeah, but basically assignment. You can, you know, when in, in Python you have multi-variable assign. So you have a list of parameters on the <clears throat> on the left hand side and, and, and a list on the right hand side. And when you assign it, it will unpack that list into a list of variables. We've been asking that for that for a long time. And not only do they do they give that, I don't think it's available yet <clears throat> from the download. But um he's extended that beyond anything <clears throat> anyone ever thought was possible. Um, and we can get into that in a bit. Yeah, it was mind blowing. In my opinion, best presentation of of the conference. I'm biased because I'm like a programming language nerd, so I'm sure there was tons of other folks that there was some other announcement that was like top top of their list. But uh, Pierre Kovalevia, yeah, he's on the KX core team, so he works on the Q language. And I I just was like I was sitting next to Nick during that presentation, and I'm not like a Q expert by any means. I'm like I'm barely even a Q novice, and I understood. 75% of it, but then it got to certain things and I'm like watching what Pierre's doing. And then I would le lean into Nick and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat what I think I just understood. And you just tell me, am I correct or am I wrong? Cause the stuff he was showing was just like, I've never seen it in any programming language before. Like it was, it was like pattern matching, destructuring, like monadic lift and like structural under all in one. Uh, yeah, anyways, like we said, we can come back to this. And and Pierre, if you're listening, which I don't think you are, uh, <laughs> but the whole joke for the rest of the conference was me trying to get Pierre and Oleg. So Oleg's also on the KX core team. Uh, we were trying to get them on 
you know, we invited them on and he was like, no, I don't want to be on the podcast. And then at some point someone told me just to go ask, go ask Ashok to force them to be on. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, here's the running joke now, but we can't get, we can't get Arthur on and we can't get Pierre and Oleg on, but I think we got a better shot with Pierre and Oleg if we bring them up enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely won't do it justice, you know, trying to describe what he's got there. And he's, uh, it's constantly moving and it's not like professional, you know, it's not ready for a release yet, but the, the, I had, at the end of my presentation, a list of gripes I had with the language and PyKX. And legitimately, they had solved the PyKX one, like, you know, a days, because I'd already told them personally that I thought this wasn't going to work properly. They'd already fixed that. Uh, I wanted a native assert in queue, and I wanted um, this multi-variable assign. And Pierre just was like, yeah, we've got that. Um, he actually gave the presentation before I had my presentation. So it's as if they they read my mind. Um, they pretty much, he, he preempted me. And it was um, it was really fantastic to have, like, basically all your, your, your gripes and wishes. Um, by the end of the conference, you found that, you know what, they've been listening and they've solved them. So if I can clarify a bit, I just tried this in NG and K. Um, and I thought K4 did this too already. If you do, like... Um, list a semicolon b semicolon c colon one two three i mean that works fine in ng and k so that's unpacking a list of three variables into three assignments so that's not in k no that would definitely not work no k9 has it i believe i think shakti has it it's definitely not in k4 but it will be yeah but that's just the tip of the iceberg yeah i mean i figured it sounded like a lot more than that all right so should we should we pause if if the other panelists have questions and if, and we can answer them, and then maybe after that we can get Nick to give us a, a little uh, summary. Because after after Pierre's, I mean, there was fantastic talks. Um, I mean, maybe we can get Nick to list off his his favorites. Uh, but I, uh, Nick also gave a, an amazing, entertaining, very entertaining, and also a very uh, information dense. He solved the same problem or a plethora of problems all in queue. And uh, I think the slide deck and, like I said, the presentation will be online. But before we get to you know Nick giving us a summary of that. Yeah, questions. I saw Bob. You had your hand up. Yeah, I guess it regards Peach. Um, essentially, what's happening there is is when you do the Peach and it breaks it into the parallels, it's not determining what you do with the parallels. So it's not necessarily sending it to GPU or CPU or cores, is it? Or is it just it breaks it up into sections and then the, you deal with it as you wish after that? So there's two there's two choices here. Uh, so you have a, a monadic function you call Peach. And then you have a vector or a list, you know, of whatnot. And then it will call that function. Whatever you want to do in the function, you do. Um, that's if you don't have remote processes. If you start, if you can run Peach in a multi-process mode, in which case you need to start and make the uh, the, the the port. Um, you have to set up the file descriptors so that when you run Peach, it will take uh, the data uh, and send it and run it on the remote process. So there, there's a, when when Connor was mentioning that um, Goldman Sachs is, you know, using Peach heavily, it was in that multi-process mode. So you have a bunch of uh, remote processes, and maybe a single server doesn't have enough RAM to compute everything all at once. And so you set up a bunch of servers, you open up a port, your uh, your gateway then connects to each of those sub, uh, those separate processes, and then parallelizes across the processes. That that takes a lot of um, setup and you know. Uh, configuration and things like that the one that's just multi-threaded per se on a single process multi-core um that's a lot easier and you don't even have to think about it other than starting it with the dash s flag 
Okay, so and and to me, it sounds like the the dash s is similar to what J does. Is you have to specify your number of cores at some point, and then after that, you're using the cores. Yeah, the one thing that you do are allowed to do inside the process is if, let's say, you decide that this routine should not be multi-core for whatever reason, maybe it um, accidentally tries to update a global variable. Uh, you can set the number of cores back down to zero. So you can do a backslash S zero, and it will then uh, turn that off until you decide to turn it back on. And you can turn it on again up to as many cores as the process was started with. So I know in Python, I think you can in process determine how many cores you want. Uh, but in Q, you have to, you, you can't hijack a process and suddenly decide I'm going to use more cores than the process started with. I, I guess that maybe that bypasses the license uh, because it checks it at startup and you don't want to allow more than that number of cores, but you can deduct or reduce from the, the, the total that you started the process with and then um, go back up to that maximum number. And we're talking about CPU cores. Is anybody doing anything with GPUs at this point, that same extension? Not, not at, not at, uh, at KX, but I did run into uh, a guy that worked for Citadel. His name was Ryan. And he actually, although I'm not sure he wants me mentioning his like little mini project from years ago, but um, he had a project called QUDA, that's Q-U-D-A, where he was trying to call into some Kublas GPU functions. Um, so, so there are people out there, like I discovered at the conference, that you know have tried things in the past um, with GPUs and, and Q and trying to bundle them together. But I don't think currently... Nick can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I talked to a bunch of folks and they said that it's on their yeah, I'm not aware. peripheral edge of their, you know, um, things that they would like to do in the future, but there isn't currently anything yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about GPUs is that they're, they work so differently from CPUs. You pretty much just have to rewrite all your code. I mean, if you're, if you're implementing at the low level, implementing primitives, I mean, the, the same techniques don't even work all like there are some similarities between things, but you pretty much have to rewrite yeah. everything. So, I mean, that would be a whole new K implementation. All right. If there's no more questions, maybe we'll throw, we'll throw it back to Nick and you can tell us, give us a mini, uh, well, I mean, I saw the talk. It was fantastic, but I, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to give a, a summary of it. And I thought the best part was when you, you brought, you brought folks up, but I won't say, I won't steal your thunder. I'll, uh, I'll let you. Uh... Yeah, I guess we can talk about my talk a little bit. Um, we can also go through some of the other people's talk, other people's talks as well. If we, if the, the talk I gave was about, um, it's, it's very famously known as uh, deferred acceptance. That's a very nice way to put it, but it's also, uh, also called the stable marriage problem. Um, and the, the idea is you have two separate populations and without money changing hands, you need to match people up. If there was a dollar value to these matches, then an optimization problem could be used. But because there's no money, there's only a ranked list what algorithm should you use to, to match, um, you know, 10 in, in the case of the presentation, I pulled 10 of the Q gods up to the stage. And then I allowed 10 QBs to come up to the stage and I gave them note cards. Uh, the note cards had the numbers zero through nine and a through J, I believe it was uh, on them. And then on the back, it had their ranked preferences. And then they kind of went off. They tried to pair themselves up. Um, that got a lot of laughs. Um, I, I enjoyed that um, and try to lighten the mood a little bit. And then I went into the actual code that implemented the algorithm. I, I, it turns out that the, the, the optimal, the, the party that gets the optimal solution is this, this, the proposing side. And um, it, they didn't realize that until uh, a few years later, 
Uh, and but um, so if you were to rerun the algorithm where if this was men and women, if the men propose, the, the men get the optimal pairings. And if you let the women propose, the, the women would get the optimal pairing. And so a lot of the implementations these days don't refer to men and women, but suitors and reviewers. The uh, the that was the kind of the show the the onstage demonstration. Then we went into the stable marriage problem, the algorithm, how that extends to the stable roommates problem. Uh, and then how that extends to the hospital residency problem, which uh, in the U.S. you have the National uh, Residency Matching uh, Program, uh, which uh, you know brings people together to ensure that uh, you you uh, uh, most perfectly uh, get residents into their hospitals of choice. And then finally, there's something called the student allocation problem, where you have professors, you have students, and instead of having them rank each other, the students are actually ranking projects that the professors own. And so there's kind of this one layer of, of uh, indirection between the, the rankings. Um, and then uh, that, you know, that was, I think the algorithms were pretty cool. Um, I, I pulled it into Python using the PyKX package, ran the Python implementation, ran the Q implementation straight from Python without having to add any code because it, it just loads it directly. And we saw that in this particular case, um, a vectorial approach, which is how, how I implemented it, you know, was 10 times faster than the object-oriented approach as it was implemented in Python. Um, so yeah, so that was, I uh, didn't know I was going to go down to implementing four different algorithms and three of them, uh, two, two of them had suitor optimal and reviewer optimal. So in the end, it was uh, five, six algorithms I needed to implement, but uh, it, was, uh, it was, I thought it was fascinating uh, going down that, that, that deep rabbit hole. And I hope that the audience enjoyed it as well. It it was great, and also a unintentional, or maybe it was intentional. You can tell us, Nick. Byproduct of this talk is he basically lined up for us ten different guests to have on our podcast in the future. Uh, I, I'll try and see if I can read. I'm not going to get them all. So Phineas was one of them, who we've mentioned a couple times now. He works at Jump Trading, uh, I believe. So Andrew uh, was the co-presenter along with Pierre from the KX core team and Oleg. So that was three of them. Aaron Davies, who I believe was at Morgan Stanley. Yes. Um, Attila, who actually we've already had on. So we've already had one of the, the Q gods on before. And that was way back. I think that was our, you know, he was our sixth or seventh guest. Um, I know who, and we can talk about this. I know who wasn't <laughs> in the, in the Q gods <laughs> was Johnny Press from, he's the CTO of Data Intellect, formerly known as AquaQ. And that was, that might've been the funniest part of the whole conference because he went up and thought he was in the top 10, but he wasn't. <laughs> because it was on Johnny, uh, Anjani was was there, but the problem was I pronounced it Anjani, and I think if you were to do it correctly, it would have been Anjani. Uh, and so, if I oh, shout out to Anjani here, I'm sorry for mispronouncing <laughs> your name. Johnny Press ended up coming up, and it should have just been you. Oh, it was so funny because he was up there, and then people were like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, I belong." And <laughs> that was not the case. And we will we will bring Johnny Press on because I think he he would definitely love to be on the podcast. Or I'm I'm just you know I'm I'm uh, you know forcing putting out into the world what I want to to materialize. Um, but I think he would be a great person to talk to because he's got a long history in the in the Q community. So that's what we're seven or eight at this point. Yeah, I think you're at eight, and there's two more. There's Igor Cantor. Um, he gave a talk as well. Oh, sorry, that was seven. And then there was uh, Uday Koli. Um, I've worked with him at Morgan Stanley uh, back in the day, and so he's he has a long experience. I think he's at Citadel right now. 
And then there was uh, Mohammed Noor as well. Yeah. So basically, we got, uh, you know, we haven't had enough Q guests on the podcast. We got, we got a, a list curated by, <laughs> by Nick for us. And we'll see if we can get them all. You know, Pierre and Oleg, I think, are going to be the, the most difficult. And I think Andrew said, really, the person from the KX core team that we should bring on is Charlie. I actually don't know Charlie's last name, who's in Zurich, Switzerland. And Charlie, I believe, is the manager of the KX core team and worked with Arthur for a very, very long time. I think initially when um, KX was initially acquired by First Derivatives, I think it was just uh, Charlie and Arthur that were working on the, the Q-executable um, which, yeah, if we can get him on the podcast, I think that he would be another amazing guest. Uh, so I guess we, some of the other topics, I can go through a few of them. Um, I think w- one of them from, uh, that I found quite fascinating was, it was Mohammed from Citadel basically talked about how they incorporate Q into the, the PyKX, Python environment. And, um, it's actually, I think it's, I've heard from other developers as well. It's becoming quite a popular way of doing things. You use async IO. Uh, Q, when you pull it into Python, doesn't have its main thread anymore. It's fully controlled by Python. And so if you want to um, have market data coming in, updating your Q tables, you use async IO with all of your real-time feeds. Um, and then um, you update data structures inside Q and then you make your business decisions based on that. So they gave an example where you had C++ hooked in um, Python and KDB all in, in one process. And that allows you to not have to rewrite all your data feeds as Q native. You, you leverage Python for that, get your data from Kafka or wherever you get it from, pull it into the Q process or, or uh, delegate it to the Q process and then do your heavy lifting there. And then on the way out, again, you, you go through Python and send it to where it belongs. So like if you want a web server, you don't have to create a web server in Q anymore. You have a, a Tornado web server in Python and just do all of your work in Q under the hood. So that I thought that was, that was very exciting. Um, Kevin Webster gave a presentation. I really, I personally, I'm, I like using Q for, for business uh, algorithms and, and, and um, analytics uh, to transform businesses and not just as a pure technology play. Uh, Kevin, um, he's, uh, I guess he's in between jobs right now, and he wrote a whole book on uh, transaction cost modeling, and he had just recently published a book. He reviewed a bunch of papers in that uh, domain, and at the very end of his book, he published uh, a, a few Q, uh, KDB functions, example, giving examples of why KDB is so much better at any other language com- when it comes to tick data, market data, to an- analyze for TCM. Uh, and he went through all the different papers. He listed them out. Um, but I think his book is probably going to be quite awesome. I have a copy. Uh, and that's my planning for, for summer readings for sure. Uh, then um, there's uh, Aaron Stanton uh, gave a, a presentation uh, of why her job at Virtue was just completely and utterly transformed between the time they used to use um, a, a different database. And then when they moved everything over to KDB, the her productivity it was like you know a tenfold um she gets to the office she can within 30 minutes to an hour she can download the data she wants do a bunch of uh, ai tests on the on the data come to different conclusions and just basically is focusing on the business rather than waiting for to obtain the data that got a lot of uh, excitement yeah she was also a fantastic presenter she i uh when i gave my presentation i 
started off by apologizing to the crowd because the amount of, I, I called it Oprah level energy that she brought to her presentation <laughs> was just, uh, yeah, it's uh, hard to match her presentation, her presentation skills. I think Connor was the last person on the last day. And so people were, were <laughs> checked out. Were you the last one or second to last? I think I was second last. The uh, presenter from Stack uh, was, was the last one. Uh, <laughs> he started his talk off by saying, I apologize for being uh, in between you and uh, the cocktail hour. So <laughs> yeah. So then Johnny Press gave his uh, presentation on the, you know, the, the business that AquaQ now called Data Intellect. Um, he used uh, some slide animation there that got the crowd excited up until Connor presented his, which took that onto steroids. Yeah. That's the only question I got is how do, uh, how do you do your slide transitions, which is not surprising because it's the overwhelmingly the uh, number one question I get at other conferences. You don't have to do them. If you're upset that people are not listening to your conversation, <laughs> or your presentation, you can just remove the transition. No, no, I can't do it. They're too, they're, they, they excite me probably more than it excites the people that are watching them. Uh, literally, that was the question. Can you go back a few slides and show us the transition again? I was like, <laughs> I was like okay. Um, yeah, when Johnny did it, I think people were, were zoning out. And he's like, wait, wait, let me re let me do that again. So he backed up the slide and said, okay, everyone pay attention. Here it comes. And then the uh, the, the data uh, intellect logo has two brackets, like an array indexing brackets. And so one of the brackets went from the lower left, right-hand side and just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it appeared on the upper right-hand side, upper left-hand side. Um, so that, that was very nice. Uh, the, what else? Then, then, of course, Andrew Wilson um, gave a long presentation about everything that the core team has been doing for the past couple of years, even though it hasn't been released officially in new versions. Uh, I think I talked a little bit about that. Um, I think, you know, it's exciting under the hood, you know, you can query all the cloud object stores um, as if they were files on the file system. So you can take them as partitioned data sets uh, in, in, in the future, if you, you know, get that license uh, and, and you want to, you want to move your data to the cloud. Um, they do the best they can to make it as transparent as possible. So, you know, take some partitions that happen to be on local disk. Maybe you don't want to spend that much money on the SSD. You can move them to slower, still local disks. Uh, maybe it's an NFS storage. And then, you know, maybe even further back in time, you don't need the performance. You can move those partitions out onto the cloud. Uh, and from the end user, they, they shouldn't tell, be able to tell the difference. It's just a matter of where you set, how you set your, your KDB database up. Yeah, Bob, I heard you were going to... Yeah, there's a question I've got. It seems to me like with Python, is is K or Q moving towards being more like an embedded thing that Python programmers may not know the Q? I mean, they're encouraged to learn it, but that it may be other people creating the Q modules that might be dropped into Python. Is that a future direction? I, I think that's... I mean, I think that is definitely... It's enabled now, basically. Whether it's promoted is a different story. I mean, people who know Q don't want to code in anything else, uh, and so they're going to keep writing in Q. But if you have a highly efficient algorithm written in Q, you no longer have to rewrite it to get it into Python. So you have a whole team of people building very data-intensive algorithms that work perfectly well. You can now access them from Python with nothing, no overhead. You just put those Q files in the directory and they get loaded uh, and runnable. So, like you know, in my presentation, I had a, a data, um, I had a dictionary uh, with NumPy vectors in them, in them, and I pass it directly to the Q function, and it shows up inside Q as a, as a, a you know a native dictionary as well. Uh, with and it shared, like I said, very very low overhead, you know, zero copy 
and then you run your algorithm and pass the result back. So it's it's a possibility. I think most likely it's uh, you know in some sense it's like you know well, I think the hope is that it's like uh, a gateway drug in the sense that you know you start Python with some Q ability in it and you're like well what is this uh, and then you start poking around and then you realize how great it is and then you you continue down that path and then you get more Q developers from there. Uh, but even if if you don't end up like that, if the person's not if the person just wants to solve business problems and is not not caring about the actual uh, the implementation and things like that, it should be just perfectly usable without having to learn anything else. So the goal would be to make the is has been to make the API as Pythonic as possible uh, and intuitive to anyone just showing up in Python. One possibility that they've tried to do is uh, you can instead of saying import pandas as PD, uh, you can import pyx dot uh, I think it's dot table or something as PD. So if you just kind of swap in another um, another import, they're uh, adding a lot of the pandas functionality into the this this wrapper object, this this Q table object, and uh, you immediately get a boost in performance. Of course, the API is it is quite large, and some of the functions are not um, are are not efficient to start with and wouldn't be in queue either. And so we, there wouldn't be a reason to uh, redirect those functions back into to queue. And maybe they won't even implement them. And so we kind of get like a, a NYI not yet implemented uh, error, or it would just redirect back into a Python implementation. But uh, when and where you can get a boost in productivity, just kind of replacing pandas with, with a queue table, um, I think that would be a brilliant way of, of, of getting people using the app, the, the code. I'm just thinking in terms of you know structuring a programming team. You might have several uh, Python programmers who are supporting a Q programmer, and then the interface between them is trying to make those those connections clearer and better, um, so that you, well, essentially, I guess you you end up with a a Q programmer who's who's like got the muscle to do the work, but then Python programmers who are bringing an interface into other programmers or other applications that can easily bring it to them and then they can, you know, get down to work, pound out the, the answer and then blow it back out to Python. Yeah, I think in practice that is, you know, how it actually gets done. Um, you know, th th there are people who just love data, who love efficiency uh, and don't want to be bothered with the business use. And so they're just, just optimizing, optimizing, optimizing. And that's, that's, that's what they love to do. Or maybe I should say that's what we love, <laughs> love to do. <laughs> but uh, there's also the side where, uh, you know, you need to actually uh, get things done. And so I, I, I try to balance my side on both, both of those sides. But yeah, I, I think there's room for both sides. Uh, there, like I mentioned, there are some vendors. Um, one of them was Snowflake gave a presentation uh, on how, you know, a large, there's a lot of data on the internet that is managed by Snowflake. And um, they, um, they're they giving the ability through PyKX to get the data out of, of Snowflake and return it to you as like a, a, K, or a, a Q table. Uh, they're not moving the data to KDB format. They're just giving you the, in their Snowpark, they're giving the ability to pull the data out uh, from the PyKX interface. And then uh, Cineos Health, I gave a presentation on how they've, um, starting with a small team of people um, wanted to, um, I think it was RX data at the time, RX data sciences at the time, they wanted to, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, they had a large, they wanted to manage a large set of data. And they said, you know, what, I think this is a perfect case for, for Q and KDB. And so they, within, I think it was a 
three, they had a four month deadline, but they finished it up in three months, something to that effect. And now um, I think you've seen the quotes a hundred times, hundred times faster. Uh, was it? A, we're a tenth of the cost. Yeah, the tenth of the cost. And so the question is, where did that quote come from? And it was exactly in this particular case. Um, they were able to take an old database that um, used to take hours to run reports, and they they, they chopped that down to be hundred times faster. And the actual price, the amount of servers they required, was like let's say ten x servers. All of that was managed by a single server. Um, so that that was the 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 source of that famous quote that the KX has on their website as well. Yeah, that that was one of my uh, favorite talks as well. It, it was by Nataraj Dasgupta, I think. I apologize if I got that name wrong or pronunciation wrong, but uh, he was super entertaining at the beginning and sort of gave a couple anecdotal funny stories and and his talk was a little bit about like the history of him deciding to sort of like step away from, I can't remember if he was working at First Derivatives or KX at the time, but I think he did at one point and decided to do a startup, like not in the finance space or fintech space, but in like the healthcare space, which uh, I don't think had been done before. So it was kind of like a, a startup, but also in a space that hadn't been using uh, KDB plus and Q. And he ended up selling the company, you know, five years later, and it was like a pretty massive success story. So it was very just interesting to hear sort of in the words of the founder and the person that was doing it, uh, you know, taking a risk and then it, it working out because of the technology is, I think, obviously a huge win for him, but also it's just a great story for array languages in general that like, you know, people can build technologies and stacks on top of this stuff and, and build companies and be do successful, you know, things. Yeah, I think a lot of the presentations were about people building companies um, on um on KDB and Q, and obviously they're not showing the the, the failures, but this, many of them are success stories. Um, I think the next the next uh, presentation was about crypto. The next couple were on crypto. There was B two C two. They're recording all their data in KDB. Uh, they, they not only record historical prices, but also the blockchain. Um, so that, that you know, that how do you use the blockchain to verify how much money you're um, your, your counterparty has like, can you monitor it and build reports to kind of give you advance warning that a particular wallet is suddenly starting to draw down? Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, they they said they were logging what was it like fifty gigs of data daily? <laughs> it's something ridiculous like that. Uh, yeah, I think Oprah data probably might. I don't know if it beats that, but like, yeah, crypto data like it's you know it's trading all day, all the time, in all the different markets and all the different coins. It's quite a lot of data for sure. Um, Stratmaker was a back testing, uh, sorry, let me, let me, calling it a back testing it would not be doing its service. Um, it's pretty much from beginning to end, build a trading strategy. So you have your market data, you have your reference data, uh, it, it's got blockchain data as well. And then they're giving you an optimizer to optimize your risk in your uh, portfolio. They give you factor models, uh, factor risk models, and the ability to actually create your own factor risk models. And then there's the back testing component and the order generation as well. And so you can go from from concept to uh, to semi production, or you can call it production. But what they don't do is execute your orders for you because that takes on a whole another level of compliance and regulatory risk. So you can do your research, you can do your portfolio analysis, your risk analysis, and order generation, but not execution. That looked like that looked very powerful. Um, then uh, Amand 
Lind from State Street gave a fireside chat, which cannot be repeated here, uh, but it was very fascinating. And uh, it's, he's a great, great, great person. He started, had a little startup with KDB and then he got bought out by State Street. And so now he's he's working there. Yeah. A very senior person. With four different titles or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Who's next? Was um, Igor Cantor came next. He talked about how um, what's the best way to build data as a service. He's built it many times uh, at, um, in many different uh, banks. And he's very passionate about what's the right way to properly structure your data. Uh, as, as as a service in the, in the sense that you do not give people direct access to the data, you give them APIs that do the standard transformations that they would want. Um, and um, he gave a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Uh, there should be clear objectives. There should be good data quality. Um, the data should be stored in standard formats. You should obviously have security and privacy and you should manage for scalability. Uh, on the don't side, um, don't store any unnecessary data that you can easily compute and don't ignore the data quality and um, uh, don't skip on the documentation. Yeah. The uh, one I thought the one part that I thought was pretty funny is like, don't violate the human rights of data. Um, there was a, dis a discussion about, uh, you know, what's the best way to handle data, but he, he, data to him is, is clearly uh, a very valued uh, Data is the new oil. He, he gave that quote from, from Clive, Clive Humbly. And uh, so you need to respect your data and treat it with uh, utmost, um, yeah, utmost respect. Uh, Rebecca Kelly gave a presentation from her company uh, in QData. There was a little chat bot, uh, a QBot, they called it. Uh, you type a question and it gave you some answers. I thought that was pretty exciting. Uh, Aaron Davies uh, gave a demonstration of a Q implementation of the RASP language. Uh, the RASP language is a, a very simple summary of what the, the transformer architecture in large language models, you know, as one example, but um, you can boil down the transformer architecture into three primitives. I think it's a select, an aggregate, and a select, select where, um, select size, something like that. Uh, and with those three primitives, you can start building other things like a reverse function or um, or a flip function and, and things like that. So he gave an, that example of the, the, the transformer of the transformer architecture. And uh, Karthik Morali from Goldman Sachs, that we discussed that earlier, he gave a presentation on the, um, the, the way they use uh, data on the cloud. They're moving all of their data, data sets from, from on-prem and onto the cloud and um, how they use a lot of parallel servers. Uh, and prior to that was Connor. Sorry, I, I did skip Connor. And prior to that was Connor's presentation, um, where he took us through three different. I think they all three leak code problems. Um, I forgot the names. Of, Technically, one of them was actually from the Appleseeds talk. I uh, actually don't remember the individual that gave the talk, but it was like the Skyline problem. That one I actually haven't found on leak code. There's similar problems to it, but. Yeah, just they're they're leak code esque if they're not actually from leak code. Nothing more than five characters. That was the maximum, I believe. Was that something to that effect? It was, it was very close. In APL, yeah, it was it was if you don't include the braces and the omega, it was I think four characters. And in Q, it was you know the the keyword versions of those, so <laughs> a couple more characters. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, char characters, sure. Uh, yeah, Ag agreed. 
um yeah you presented your uh what is it the street street view oh yeah yeah well so at a, a small digression yeah uh, there's eight connors that work for uh kx <laughs> And three of them were there. So I was the fourth Connor at this conference. And mind you, there's only, I think there's less than 200 people at this conference. So that's, it's, uh, it's not like there's thousands of people there. And it turns out that like, there's actually a pretty huge running culture at, at KX. So, uh, Ashok, he's a marathoner, um, Connor Toomey, Manis, a bunch of the folks that I met there, they have sort of like a, a WhatsApp, like running group. Um, we actually never ended up getting out running together because, you know, it was pretty crazy while we were there. Um, but anyways, I ended up showing, I, I became while I was there, the number two city strider in Montauk, which is like a website that tracks what percentage of a city's roads you run. Um, so, so in the three days that I was there, I was trying to become number one, but there was some lady named Caitlin who's run 48% of Montauk. And that would have been the equivalent of probably like, I don't know, 150 kilometers, which believe it or not, I didn't have time to, to log that much mileage while I was there. But, um, Anyways, yeah, I, I threw a slide in there, and uh, I think also Fintan, who doesn't work at KX anymore, but he works at Shakti, he's also, I, I've seen posts on LinkedIn that he runs like a 256 or 254 marathon, which is which is very fast, so yeah. I don't know if it's just like a Q thing in general or KX thing in general that like, you know, it's not just fast executables that people like, it's, they like going fast, but I don't know, there's uh, there's something there. So there's, I, I probably left out a few a few of the presentations. I, there's two more that I do know that I left out. One of them was um, Phineas, Phineas Porter, which we mentioned earlier. And he, um, <clears throat> he gave a, a wonderful vi uh, visual demonstration of how you can use edge detection. Uh, I think it's like um, uh, a, you, you create a convolution, uh, CNN. Uh, he, wrote, he did it in Q. Basically, you take your little window, you shift it left and right and up and down. You collapse that, and then you can detect edges on a picture. And then, then you can, if you want to shrink your picture and making sure that all of your edges don't get messed up, uh, you just fix those and then shrink everything else other than that. And so he, in his Jupyter notebook, he uses Q code to take a, was it a, a GIF or I don't know what the format was, a PNG, uh, and it has a little slider. And as he slid it, the nice, beautiful picture, all of the, the cornfields where there was no edges, they just all shrank uh, and the people and the trees all stayed pretty much the same size. And so you can shrink the picture uh, and not distort it in any way that's observably erroneous. Uh, but obviously af after a certain size, it starts to fall apart. But um, th I thought that was really, that was a really good demonstration. Of, and it was minimal amount of code uh, yeah. to, to do that. I don't actually know what the right word for that. He, like the title of Phineas's talk, which was, it was a great talk. I mean, I'm a biased. Any talk that shows code, so like Nick's talk, Phineas's talk, Aaron's talk, um, obviously Pierre, Pierre's talk. Uh, I always prefer those. But yeah, it he called it liquid rescaling, and yeah, I've heard that. I think that Photoshop introduced that. Yeah, term. but it's not really like when I when I hear rescaling, I think of just like you're resizing the image. Um, but really there's, I don't even know if compaction is the right word. Cause like you're technically deleting parts of the photo, right? Like, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess, but that's definitely like liquid rescaling is that specific. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly the same algorithm, but it's the idea of, um, of resizing by cutting out the bits where nothing's happening yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. It's a very cool. And he does it in like a Jupiter notebook at the end of the day where he actually has a dial and then he just drags it back and forth and you can see in real time. It's very cool. And then the other person I had left out, or it was in the beginning of the 
the conference was uh, Alex Donahue from Toronto Dominion. I think Connor got excited about that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was basically saying how passionate he was uh, that people use Q and, you know, how, how do you get your colleagues to like to use it and adopt it? And there's just so many things that just make it such a better environment to develop in. Um, he did have some things that are important. You, again, you should not give people direct access to tables. Um, and uh, because there's so many things that can go wrong, you don't want people to have to re-implement the data quality problems. Like, like his example was, if you have data that shows up on a weekend and you don't want people to look at it because they keep coming to you and saying, what is this data? Well, then your API should handle that for you. And um, the, uh, the other thing he did talk about typing there's uh kdb is more statically typed than python which i think connor and i were kind of wondering what what that was referring to for, i thought about this for a while and python in general uh right it has the float and it has a long integer maybe it's a string type so there's not that many types involved but kdb has many many more types and they don't typically change under the hood uh so you have a, a you have an int and you keep adding to it, and you're not going to accidentally get along. And that's very different than um, in, in J, I believe, in, in APL, where there's this auto-promotion. After it gets beyond a certain size, you'll get a new type. In Q, uh, the types are pretty much fixed the way they are, and there's a lot of them. You have time types, you have minute types, you have um, date types, date time types. Uh, it's just like a profusion of different types for just exactly what you're hoping to achieve and at the minimum size that you can pack it into. The, uh, I, they're both statically typed. It's just that one is more, more types than the other. Uh, Perl, on the other hand, is not statically typed in some sense, right? Like it's, uh, so, sorry, let me, I, I completely makes that statement wrong. They're all dynamically typed languages. Sorry, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to <laughs> imply that it's not a C++ compiled language. But the types, yeah, go on. Yeah, and what that means specifically is that, like, if you, yeah, yeah, if you write a function and you write, you know, a plus b in the function, then that the type of the plus is not determined by it's it's not even known like when you write that function. When you call the function a and b, you can have any type. So that's pretty useful actually, because I mean, then you can write this one function and it applies to differently typed things. Right. Um, but you also don't get some like safety guarantees or. Or maybe some optimizations. Who knows? I do uh, think that it's important to compare it with um, with Perl, where you could have this in awk, I guess you have the string one and the string two, and you can actually legitimately say one, you know, string one plus string two, and you'll get the number three out. Uh, and, and so that um, is very different. And so when I was referring to statically typed, uh, that was clearly it's not a statically typed language, but the types are strongly typed. I think that that would be the way to, to phrase it. The types are strong and they don't morph into each other. Yeah, so th and that was actually what was confusing about, uh, like Alex Stock was great, but that technically was a mistake on his slide is that he had these, it was a comparison a lot of the, like half of his talk of Python versus KDB and Q. And on one of the slides, he says, a con of Python is that it's not strongly typed, which is actually false. Python is strongly typed. Like you can't, like, there is disagreement in the academic community of what does strong really mean. It's not as explicit. It's, it's not meaningful. Yeah, it's not as explicit as static. Like there are dynamic. degrees of strong. There's no strong and not exactly. Strong. It's not binary, but like in general, 
there's a lot of agreement in that like languages that have implicit casting from type to type. So like uh, people will disagree in the C++ community. There are some people that say C++ is a very strongly typed language. In my opinion, it's not because we have implicit casting all over the place. Null pointers to Booleans to integers. You can, you know, there's like the classic thing when you have a while loop uh, of like I does not equal zero. And that can be your condition because integers, um, or actually no, you can actually, yeah, you can do I minus minus. So you're like subtracting and then the result of that is an integer. Uh, but when that hits zero, that will be the equivalent of the Boolean false. And so it'll cut. But like in a language like Java, you can't do that because uh, Java does not convert integers into, into Booleans. But the point being is that Python technically is strong, uh, but it is dynamically typed. And so you can like reassign an integer to be a string and, and that does create issues. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a complicated thing though, but, uh, technically on his slide, he was, he was arguing a correct point, but saying the wrong yeah. reason for it, uh, <laughs> which is, but that gets into like academic PL theory, because when you talk to people, I mean, everyone has a different, different definition of what is strong versus weak. And, uh, it's, it's kind of like a landmine that you step on. I mean, I, even though I mentioned that, you know, integers stay integers in Q, uh, in fact, there is a short type. And if you add two shorts to each other, you'll end up with an integer. And so when you get down to the smaller pieces, uh, things do sometimes get auto-promoted. And maybe to some people's frustration, maybe there's just some historical reason for it. Um, but most of the types maintain themselves when you when you try to manipulate them. So that is also a lot like uh, NumPy does that as well. Uh. <laughs> I assert. <laughs> I haven't played that with it enough. <laughs> cool. I think that covers I mean, all my notes I took. Um, I, I f forgive me if I, I think there was a presentation by Amazon to start it off, I believe. Um, yeah, that was Tim. Tim, I'm going to mess up his last name. Grish, Grishbach, I think, something like that. Tim G. He's at AWS Tim and, uh, on Twitter, and I think that's his handle as well inside of Amazon. Um, he, was, he was a blast to, to chat with and uh, super, super fun guy. They're really hands-on, and they, were, they, were, they wanted people, like if you've got a project to work on and, and you know, spinning up some KDB servers on the, on the cloud, they just they just want your your collaboration, and so they just they ask for anyone to kind of reach out, and they're willing to they're willing to put the time and energy into getting it working with you. So I guess a, a question: Were you at the? So I thought this was the first KXCon. That was entirely false. There's been multiple KXCons in the past. The last one was in 2016. Only one? There was there was they didn't call the, the, the one in 2016 was I thought the only other KXCon um, to my knowledge. I heard there was one in like 2008 or nine or something like that, uh, or seven, maybe pre-crisis. <laughs> it's possible. Okay. Then I was not at it if there was one. There was another KX25, which was met, you know, it was in New York City, uh, and, and I presented there. Um, but the only other KX conference I, I was aware of was in 2016, I believe, in May, uh, same place, uh, the same Montauk, um, and that, that, was, that was it. But yes, I was at that one. Okay, maybe I am thinking of the the KX twenty five. Or was that when would have that been? I thought it was around eighteen, two thousand eighteen. So that was after two thousand. Okay, so maybe there was one. Maybe there was multiples. They have they have all these conferences, uh, Iverson, and you know, like they they bring everyone out. They 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 haven't had them, but I don't think they call them KXCon. It was more of like an array. It was it was these offsites for sure, um, but I don't think they called it KXCon per se. 
So yeah, my, my question, you know, even if there wasn't multiples, it, uh, the only thing there needs to be is the one in 2016 is, uh, how, what are your thoughts overall on, on the conference, uh, that just happened versus, you know, 2016 and, uh, yeah, in, in general, just overall thoughts, you know, should people go next year? Cause that is, I think that's one of the big announcements slash it has not official yet, but I think they, the people that I talked to at KX said that they're trying to make this like an annual recurrence and it's going to hop around from location to location. I think someone said they're even going to try and do like, um, they're going to toggle off, you know, one in, uh, the, the States and then one in Europe somewhere and back and forth, uh, potentially. Yeah. I, I mean, clearly I was a lot younger then I was a lot less, um, experienced in my coding. Um, I felt that it was, you know, back then it was just like, here's a new toy that everyone has recently found. Let me show you what I've done with this toy. It was just a lot of fun. Um, no one like the, the, it was like really impressive to see what people were doing with, with the language itself. There was uh, a, a telepresented, uh, I, I, it was the beginning of my machine learning foray with Q and KDB that ended up being, a, you know, a book. Um, I tried to run some of the stuff on GPUs, um, by like re redirecting all matrix multiplications into, um, um, this is a package out there you can download called QML, uh, which is like Q, uh, and it doesn't stand for machine learning. It's made a uh, matrix library, I think it stands for. And so if you just rope that in, you can call a bunch of code that oh, it doesn't do GPUs. It does a Fortran under the hood. Uh, and so it's, it's a lot faster. Um, and I thought that if you could then find a, a CUDA blast, you could compile against that and then get all of your, uh, all of your matrix uh, multiplications then offload it into into the GPU, but but I didn't take it that far. But the the last um, the KXCon, it it felt like a nobody was showing what they had achieved. It was more like what what we're doing and what we're playing with. And now it's a bit more mature. It's um, you know you've got vendors. There were, I don't think there were any vendors back then, if I recall correctly. It's it's a lot more mature and. Although I do think that because of the time between the last time and this time, there was a lot of like, you know, hugging and you're like, oh, it's been so long since I've seen you. You know, it's so great to spend the time. Uh, we, you know, we've been communicating over email or, and, you know, maybe I've seen you on a Zoom, but like seeing you in person, it really brought the community closer together. I, I thought that was fantastic. So, yeah, everybody, everybody should go next year. Q user or not. Location to be TBD. And uh, I'm sure, actually, you know, next time we can we can just bring uh, whether we bring in a, one of the Q gods. I, although, you know, if Steve was here, he'd be upset with us because he wants to banish that uh, <laughs> he wants to banish that term. But uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of I'm I'm torn because it's it's fun it's fun to call people Q gods. Uh, when you know when the lineup happened, I felt you know it's like a, the Avengers are assembling, you know, and it's I'm I'm there live at the conference watching, you know, the Iron Man, the Thor, the Hulk of uh, of the Q community. Uh. So I think what Stephen was saying that Qist, he likes the word Qist, right? I believe I believe that's what he phrased a Qist. I mean, I, I would say that uh, you know it's one of the best conferences, if not the best conference I've been to, which isn't really surprising because I mean I'm a I'm an array language you know person at heart. And uh, C++ conferences are great, but, you know, uh, <laughs> you go to, like, an array language conference and it's, like, your people, you know? Uh, you're talking about scans and talking to Oleg and Pierre was just, oh, my God, it was it was so awesome. And, 
And yeah, so my question was going to be, are you guys inspired? We're going to, I mean, I technically dialogue APL already has their conference. I've just never been. Um, yeah, there's nothing technical about it. <laughs> what? Technical. Oh, technically. Yes. Uh, good point. <laughs> that was an unnecessary use of that word. <laughs> it's like real, like people fly in and like all do conference things hang around in the, and present to each other in the conference setting. Yeah, purportedly, there's a conference that happens uh, put on by Dialect APL. But, you know, if the tree falls in the wood, does it actually? Yeah, so and Jay had its conferences, I think 2012 and 2014 were the last set. And um, they said it was just too much work to put on another one, which is very understandable. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Yeah, shout out to the KX folks, uh, Anne, James. I'm going to miss a couple of the people. But just like, yeah, the whole KX team uh, did an amazing job and, you know, Kudos to them, and please keep on doing all that hard work because it was an awesome experience. And yeah, it's 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 a lot of work. I, I've been involved in um, organizing conferences, and it lasted for a year, and then I immediately stepped down. Not because you know, uh, <laughs> not because I didn't want the conference to happen, but it's just it's so much work, and I just didn't have that amount of time to to dedicate to helping organize it. And and key point, it wasn't at the request of the other organizers that you stepped down. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it was, it was not. Uh, <laughs> the, I think actually Mike Dom, the organizer, he sent out a tweet or something uh, to, to clarify that, yeah, it wasn't that I did a ter terrible job the first time and then I got fired. Uh, it was... It was that, yeah, I, I just, I've got too many, what do you call it, pots on the pots on the stove or whatever. Um, Array programming could help with that. I wasn't at the 2012 J conference, but I was at the 2014 one, and, and it it was a really good conference, um, and there's so much community building that goes on there that's, that's I think, really essential um, to building strong communities that I just don't think you can really do online. But yeah. the balance is, if you've got a small community, the, the work that needs to be done in order to do that, um, I, I think it just becomes a critical mass. If you get a certain level of organization, it can be done, and it, it, it the returns are you know, greater than, than the work put in. But I think for a small community, the work put in is much more than than the return that you get is initially. And I, I'm guessing that's kind of where Jay found itself at that time. Hopefully, at some point, it gets to the point where you have people that are as interested in organizing community as they are in in you know programming the language. But um, yeah, that's a it's a critical mass kind of thing. I think. Yeah, and there's there is definitely something because I've attended the Apple Seeds conferences, which are great. And I've attended other online conferences, but like hands down, like the best part of KXCon, at least for me, was it's getting to chat with people over dinner and over lunch. That is very hard to do like at an online conference um, because even if you do have some sort of like breakout room thing, a lot of people just disappear as soon as the talks end. And then even if everyone does stick around, it's still very hard to kind of, you know, it's like you have these fixed tables with the fixed size of people and um it's it's just very hard to replicate like that hallway track at an in-person conference um, online. At least I have not attended an online conference that has managed to do it, uh, which which means that, you know, online conferences are still great, but I still think there's there's a space for in-person ones. Um, I think that's why we do the, in, the, the live ones at Dialog as well, um, because obviously all the presentations really could be done online. Um, maybe the workshops less so. Getting people together is a whole different thing, and you should come to a dialogue user meeting. By the way, Connor. Um, I mean, I wanted to. It was held in Portugal, right? The most recent right. one. Yeah. And 
I can't remember, but I think it was maybe I had like a half marathon that clashed. Um, and Not even a whole marathon. <laughs> and I think I think also part of the reason was that, uh, yeah, there, there was other reasons anyways. But it is it is on my list of things to do is to make it out to a, a Dialogue APL conference. So the next place, it seems to be since I joined Dialogue, every other time it's in Elsinore. Um, and it's not really a classic conference center. It's, it's a kind of special place. And that place has, in its corridors and, and open areas, has all these little like, holes into the wall. Kind of like in a, in, a, in a restaurant, sometimes you have this, where where people sitting at a table, but it's kind of with a wall behind the seats um, and the little those little bumps into the walls and there are like benches inside and tables. And there, people really get into this. And you see, like all evening after the last talk, um, people are, are sitting there, and you know you have customers that are, have issues with something, and they can grab some of the dialogue staff or people discussing various things, um, and that's that's really great. I'm looking forward to that. And it's it's happening in October. Also, it's right next to my where I live, so it'll be convenient. So yeah, finger crossed that all the array language conferences start start popping up. And that we'll have an array conference, right? Uh, I mean, that was talked about, yeah. Um, but, all right, did anybody rig up a bridge, you know, calling J from APL, from Q, from BQN, from K? Anybody try that? Well, I suggested to, to uh, Pierre and Oleg, they showed me that you can evaluate uh, K in, uh, in Q uh, by using, well, like, you apply a... Uh, the letter of the language to another string and that that, that evaluates it so it, like why not yeah why, why not just have j and apl too so you can can evaluate in any other language you want if this this has a nicer way to formulate in bqn you just you know <laughs> run it in bqn from inside q sounds like a great project for marshall master of all array languages uh <laughs> i definitely would not call myself a q master not great at k but you really throws me with all the names. It's too obvious. <laughs> it's too... No, I mean, about half of them are obvious. And then the other half, I mean, I know if I if I learned them, then they'd be no problem. But I'm just not familiar with them. So I have to guess it. You know, there's a few things this could mean. I just don't know. Here's, a, here's, here's actually a very uh, random, specific question, Nick. <laughs> and feel free, anyone else, if they know the answer that I was looking for the other day. Does Q have like a, they have all the moving averages, moving mins, moving maxes. Is there a generic version of that function that you can, like that just creates windows or slices or something like that? I mean, it doesn't exist. You've got the prior, right? But that's not that's not actually how moving is is went. I mean, that's a two window. Yeah, moving average is actually implemented by stacking them up and then just averaging across them. Like it creates the windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's much more efficient than it would be in Python. Um, but no, there is not. And inevitably, anyone who starts a new library, they create that moving window f. You know, f. You know, at moving mf or whatever you want to call it. Like give me a function and apply it to the moving window. It's it's not going to be performant per se, but people roll their own. So there, no, there's not. Interesting. Okay. Well, good to know that I wasn't missing it under the wrong name un, under the built-in. And I guess that's another thing just to, to round out the end of this discussion is I was talking to Johnny Press and he mentioned to me Torque, T-O-R-Q. And it's this open source Q framework that is completely hosted on uh, GitHub that has... I don't know how many lines of codes, but it's definitely a, a large project. And then I ended up finding 
uh, on the KX website just a collection of just like a massive number of open source um, Q libraries. Like there's a huge ecosystem of Q code out there. Basically, I'm not going to say for everything that you might be looking for, um, but yeah, Nick, you were just saying people writing their own libraries. And uh, anyways, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and that is something I, I feel like Stephen has mentioned before, uh, Awesome Q, which is a curated list of libraries that uh, he hosts on a, a repo. But I, I didn't know about the, or maybe he mentioned it, and I just I just it never stuck in my memory that they have a, a huge list of things sort of by category. Um, and that is, I think, one of the criticisms of maybe not J, but like other array languages, is that we don't really have a huge package management slash library ecosystem similar to, to Python. And definitely this does not equal Python's ecosystem, but um, is definitely way larger than than the impression that I had about the Q community. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's one of the first things, um, one of the, the second episode or third episode that I was on, it was like, you know, why isn't, why aren't the array languages uh, more adopted? And, you know, part of that is package management and package uh, deployment. There is no single source where people can pop their uh, their 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 libraries and with a pip install they can just install it. it it'd be really great if the community can come and bring that together or if kx were to do it. Um, kx has something called qpacker, which does package things up and deploys it, but it's really only for their own um, enterprise software. Maybe they can there's a way to leverage that and make it for the community as well. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think our conversation devolved into the fact that why would you need a library if right, right. all these functions are only four characters long? Yeah. I mean, that is one of the, that's the, one of the things that Aaron Shu says that some people disagree with and some people agree with. It's like the libraries versus idioms, you know, like who needs a library when you can just type everything out yourself because it's so short, um, which I think works to a certain extent. But then, <laughs> um, you know, I prefer people writing stuff for me, even if it's even if it's terse, because uh, if if they're writing it, I don't have to. Um. <laughs> and there's an advantage to consistency. If you've got somebody who's come up with a good algorithm and something that works, then you don't have to. If you start from scratch, there can be edge cases that maybe don't work as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where the easy version is very simple, but then the the version that's like good is many yeah. times more complicated. Last thing I'll note too, a plug for... A plugin I came across called VS Code Q, because the first thing when I started digging around in some of these open source repos was that there doesn't seem to be any standard or even non-standard uh, code formatter for Q, which coming from automatically code formatted languages like drives me nuts when I see like two lines next to each other, one that has like a space between the colon and the definition of a function and the next one, there's no space. Um, that stuff just drives me nuts because I'm like, well, that's just, I don't even care what the style is. But you're saying a Q programmer wrote a space that was unnecessary. Oh, all <laughs> over the place, all over the place. <laughs> well, I guess they weren't a K programmer. Yeah. Well, if it was K, that space would make a difference, wouldn't it? Uh, it depends where the space is. It depends where the space is. Um, it's a carriage return. Carriage return? That would make a difference. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, yeah, that's that. That's in every every language that I know of. Yeah, right? or a, at least Ivasonian languages. None of them use a terminating character for expressions. And, uh, anyway, so I went searching for one, didn't find one, but then found a pretty popular plugin for that does build like a. They don't call it like a Q language server, but it's it's some mini language server written on top of um, uh, Treesitter, I believe, was the the. Um, 
program that they were using. And I don't think TreeSitter has support for code formatting, but there's another open source repo called Topiary, which I think you can build on top of TreeSitter. Anyways, I may myself go and do this or just try and, you know, here's my nerd sniping. If there's someone out there that wants to help out with getting standard queue formatting uh, across some open source plugins and stuff, write to Bob and then Bob can forward it to me or just DM me on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that I think that would be a, a very nice thing for the Q ecosystem and also just array languages in general. But I think Q mostly because Q strikes me as the closest thing to, uh, let's say, non-niche array languages because they actually use words. So you start to desire that kind of code formatting stuff. But a lot of the APL, BQN stuff, it's... Um, I think because it's a lot more terse. Like if you look at Aaron Shue's stuff, I don't look at that code and go, hey, you know what this would benefit from? A code formatter. <laughs> That's funny. I, I use the built-in code formatter in dialogue all the time. It's not it's not really a code formatter. It's a it's a white space adjuster. Let's say like that. Yeah, comment aligner. Yeah, I use that as well. That's very nice. Not, not, no, not just the, not the comment aligning. Uh, I would occasionally use that too. Uh, no, but uh, making all the indents standardized four spaces and and making all the braces be in the right places and so on it doesn't it never moves them to a different line but it will move them everything horizontally and that i use all the time so uh, yeah i'm not front uh, uh, a few items to mention kx is you know working with microsoft and on that front they are building a vs code they're going i mean it's been eminent uh, released from like last december but uh, soon maybe this month next month there's going to be a vs code plugin um owned and produced by Microsoft and KX. So it should be Ooh. quite good, uh, you know, with like the documentation when you hover over, like all of the things you would, you would expect out of a VS Code plugin. So that, that, that should be coming soon. And I, I don't think it should be freely available at that point. So it's- So yeah. rest in peace to VS, Co VS Code Q, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft is implementing their yes, own one. I, I believe so. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, I obviously, I, I like Emacs, so I have my Q mode and that, you know, puts the comments and you can hit meta Q, uh, meta, meta, I, I don't remember the chord, but <laughs> meta Q or whatever, and it will like re, re uh, indent and everything like that. What I wanted to add to it was fly check, which basically in Python, uh, when you've met, when you have a typo, it'll, you know, it, it sends the code off to a Python process and if it throws an exception, it'll highlight that record, that line. And I wanted to do the same thing for Q, but there's no way of passing in a Q script to Q, having it attempt to syntax parse it and throwing out an exception. So I thought that that would be pretty good if we had that. Uh, but that, that, that doesn't exist yet. Very exciting. Wow. And I was going to say that if you do want to get in touch with, touch with us, of course, the uh, email address is contact at arraycast.com. And uh, we welcome your uh, suggestions and uh, if you were going to do some kind of a uh, interface to Q and this was your, your imminent release and you think you can beat out K, KX and uh, Microsoft then let us know and we'll publicize it for as long as it might exist before it gets thumped by something much bigger but uh, yeah contact at arraycast.com awesome yeah and thanks Nick for coming on this is been great to recap and hopefully we'll get to do one of these in t minus 12 months uh if if kx does go ahead and do another 2024 and who knows maybe i'll maybe i'll do the dialogue apl one and we can do a a, a recap because i don't think we've ever done a 
Uh, we did do um, the live from... We did a live. Yeah, yeah when it was online back back during yeah. COVID, the, the great COVID times that we all loved and missed so much. Um. <laughs> and actually, the discussion that we had was kind of neat because it did bring together all the presenters at the end, which I thought was a neat, neat way to do it. Yeah, I mean, pros and cons definitely of both in-person and online. Like, it's definitely probably not possible to have a in-person live from KXCon where you've got a room with all the speakers who can just like hop up to the mic, right? That That's only going to be possible in an online format. So definitely pros and cons to both. But yeah, once again, we'll say thank you so much for taking the time, Nick. We know it's it's not always easy to, to find time to come on these, but we, we love having you, as a, especially as a fourth-time guest panelist. I think you're probably probably the most frequent frequent uh, guest panelist at this point. So we'll... There's been a lot of complaints from my colleagues around the, you know, in the community that this the, the, the array cast doesn't have enough Q representation, and um, I feel like I'm, I'm doing my best here to, uh, to, to hold that. But if we can get a few more people of the... Uh, on you know some of the people that we've highlighted today, that that would be great for the community. I think. I think we'll definitely we'll definitely get Johnny on. He seemed uh, well. I, I mean, I talked I talked to his uh, was it Victoria or Charlotte? His his wife Charlotte or uh, Victoria that works for KX said that it would be easy to get Johnny on. So uh, <laughs> we'll get Johnny on. I think I talked to Aaron too, and he said he's got to go back and listen to all the podcasts first before he wants to come on. But uh, you know, there's there's a couple people in the pipeline now that we'll definitely add to our list and. Uh, our listeners can expect to hear from those folks in the future. Maybe if we get enough Q people on, then Arthur Whitney will come up to balance it with a K. Oh. You like my strategy here? I like that. I like that, Adam. I like that, Adam. Very nice. Very nice. We just start talking about K4, how it's the best K. There's no K better. The last word. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think with that, we will say happy array programming. Happy, happy array programming. programming.